So it is hard to follow children who are cute and sing beautifully and bring us joy. But second best is our second reading today, which gives to us a character that is really a character, John the Baptist. So friends, let us listen once more for God's word from the Gospel of Matthew, the third chapter, beginning with the first verse. It reads, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who, who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a, a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by John in the Jordan River. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you, John says, that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, John says. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, his winnowing fork in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled, The Other Way. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, it is indeed by many different ways that we have arrived. Speak to us now, O oh God, through, through this character named John, through the ways your spirit might connect his story to our own and that it might send us out into the world by another way. Indeed, O oh God, we pray these things, for we know with you they are possible, for you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. So here's the part I don't understand. Here's this guy out in the, the wilderness. And when the Bible talks wilderness, it's not talking Southeast Georgia wilderness, right? It's talking middle of the desert wilderness. It's talking 200 miles from home and 199 to the nearest place of shade or refuge wilderness. So we got this guy out in the wilderness who dresses funny. Clothes made of camel hair, not normal then, not normal now. He eats funny, locusts, wild honey. He's preaching fire and brimstone out there in the desert. And he's doing this, this ritual that 
even for the people coming out to them would have out to him rather would have been utterly unfamiliar. Right? The ritual cleansing, of course, in the Jewish tradition was something that all of those people would have known. But this, this baptism, once and for all baptism, that was something different. So the part I, I don't get, the part I, I just don't understand is this. Why? Why does anyone go out, like the story says, go out from, from Jerusalem and and Judea, and, and places around the Jordan River. Why does anyone go out to this man? I mean, are they gluttons for punishment? Are they thrill seekers? Want to take life to the edge? Are they desperate? Are they curious? Right? What is the, what's the reason? What's the, the impulse draws all of these people out to John the Baptist. As I already alluded to, the second Sunday of Advent every year in a church that follows the lectionary will, will bring you to the story of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist might be one of the most perplexing characters, certainly in the New Testament, and for many in all of the scriptures. Right, you just have to open up to the different ways each of the gospel writers tell the story of John. None of them can quite figure this guy out. They're all giving you a slightly different take on, on who he was and, and why he was and, and what it was that he was up to. So why do, why do people go out to this, this perplexing man? I always wonder that. I honestly always want to detour around John the Baptist. But this year I sat with him for, for a little bit, and I began to wonder something. I began to wonder if maybe people were drawn to John the Baptist, because with him they sensed a certain closeness to God. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? Fire and brimstone, warning people about vipers, calling them vipers, warning them about unquenchable fire. Those aren't necessarily things that we put at the top of the list of qualities we're looking for in, in preachers and pastors who we, we desire to follow out into the wilderness. It's a little counterintuitive, but, but still there's something about John that is deep. John speaks with a certain degree of vigor, doesn't he? There's, there's a certain level of authenticity to this man named John the Baptist. Right? He's out there pointing to this, this powerful God. This God who apparently possesses the power to, to make crooked things straight, to, to forgive sin. But also this God with the power to hold people accountable. There's some accountability in this story with all the warning of fire and threshing floors. Put yourself in the shoes of a first century Palestinian for a moment. If you are someone who is steeped in poverty, someone who has been at the whims of powerful people and rulers all your life, there's some good news in a man proclaiming accountability. So there's this uh, study I came across recently done by two Harvard Divinity School students. Their study sought to go out and map these, uh, these organizations, these communities that 
are fulfilling functions that religious congregations used to. And they paid special attention to millennials, to folks in mid, late 20s, early 30s now. They wanted to, to know why when they look at the data about churches and there's this big gaping hole, where are all the young people? And yet you, you go visit some of these other organizations out there. Organizations like CrossFit is one they looked at. There's one known as Dinner Table, which just hosts meals for young people, particularly young people who have lost people close to them to have a conversation, to, to fellowship. These two students, they wondered, what is it about these organizations that seem to be pulling people in that, that these religious congregations apparently used to fill but, but no longer do? So they went and they spent time at CrossFits and dinner tables and, and these six or seven other organizations and they identified six different characteristics that they found across all these organizations. Six themes that they think at least in a little way speak to why these organizations are finding engagement with young people. Some of them are, are predictable, right? These are organizations that offer community. People desire community. They offer opportunities for, for personal and social transformation. But it's the last one that surprised me. The thing they found in their research amongst millennials, why they were drawn to these, these groups, was that in these groups they found accountability. That apparently there's a degree of accountability which they defined as anything that holds oneself or others responsible for working towards defined goals. Young people were drawn to these organizations because they asked accountability of them. Apparently in a way that, that churches and other religious congregations have been lacking in recent years. Jill Duffield of the Presbyterian Outlook is the one who pointed me to that study and she wondered, you know, could John the Baptist's strange appeal be linked in some way to this need for accountability? Accountability in all of our lives. Don't we all have a longing, she asked, a longing somewhere in us to live with integrity, to be the people we say and hope to become, the people we aspire to be? Accountability, that's a word we don't probably hear enough in church, is it? And yet to me, when I, I go back and I listen to John the Baptist again, I hear his voice being a voice of accountability. It's a voice that we all need to hear, right? He sees us where we are and he says, you all know, you know there's another way, right? You know that emptiness that you feel, that no amount of purchases or parties, particularly this time of year, seems able to fill. You know, you know there's another way, don't you? You know that thing that you regret, which you're just too afraid to admit? You know, John the Baptist says, you know there's, there's another way than just holding it inside. That, that hate, that prejudice, that, that crookedness that every single one of us has inside of us, some big and some small. You know, John the Baptist says, there's, there's another way. You know that longing you feel to live with integrity, to be the person who you know God created you to be? John the Baptist says, you know, there's a path 
path that will lead you there. John's this voice of accountability for me. There's this guy named uh, Thomas Terrence. Some of you may have heard his name. Tom Terrence holds the unfortunate moniker of once being known as the most dangerous man in Mississippi. He grew up in the 1960s and 1970s, South Alabama, South Mississippi. And it was in high school that he first sort of became engaged with these fringe extremist elements of that region. He joined the KKK. He later became a convicted terrorist by his own admission implicated in close to 30 bombings or attempted bombings of synagogues. He had a particular hatred for Jewish people. Synagogues, of of churches, of, of homes. He eventually went to prison for attempted murder when he got caught planting a bomb under a Jewish businessman's home. He escaped from prison, got in a shootout with police, went back to prison, and this time to solitary confinement. And it was there in solitary confinement that he found his only retreat in books, in the pages of books. First, he did what you would predict. He, he collected all the extremist literature he had been missing out on during the trial, and he caught up on that. But eventually, he ran out. And someone began giving him books of philosophers who were, who were talking about the nature of, of truth. And at some point, he opened a Bible. And he began reading these stories of of babies and prophets and and strange characters out in the wilderness crying out about things like repentance and the coming kingdom. Tom Terrence talks about how it was there in that prison cell that something unlocked in him. A longing, you might say, that he didn't even know was there. A longing to to live differently. And in his own words, he said it was there in that cell as that longing unlocked that the the walls of his hate began to, to crumble. After his release, which came early, in fact, because following his conversion to to Christianity, he began reaching out to some of the people who had put him in prison. The very FBI agent that, that helped lead his conviction ultimately helped get him out of prison. After his release, he went on to earn a seminary degree, and then he pastored a, a multiracial church, and then he spent 23 years as the director of the C.S. Lewis Institute in Washington, D.C. He just retired this year. In the early 1990s, though, not long after his conversion, Tom Terrence went back to his hometown of Mobile, Alabama. He'd been invited there by Spring Hill Presbyterian Church to come and speak about his transformation. And it was there on a Thursday night in that fellowship hall of Spring Hill Presbyterian that he began telling his story, and he, he started it that night for some reason with a telling of a memory he had from high school, where there was this one particular Jewish boy that he picked on, and there was this one particular day where he took that boy and he, he slammed him into the wall, and he, he called him things that we really shouldn't say right now. And he finished his talk, and there was a question and answer time. And about 10 people queued up, and 
A few people in, a, a man stepped up to the microphone and he thanked Tom Terrence for, for sharing his story. And he said, I just have one question. I'm wondering, do you remember the name of that boy from your high school? And Tom Terrence said, no. But I remember his face. It's been, it's been locked in my memory. All these years, I think about that boy often. And the man at the microphone, he said, well, well, that boy's name was Stan Chasson. That's me. And I have to tell you, Tom, I saw an advertisement in the coffee shop about you coming to Spring Hill Presbyterian to, to give a talk. And I thought to myself, I'd like to go and hear what this man has to say. Hear if his words rang hollow. Hear if anything really actually changed or if maybe he was just there trying to make a few bucks for his think tank back in D.C. But Tom, as I listened to you from the back of the room, something else happened. Your words, they, they struck a, a chord in me, Stan said. There's something deep, something vigorous behind what, what you were talking about, and, and it resonated in me. And as I, I sat back there, I, I remember that just last week in, in my community was Yom Kippur, which is one of the high holy days, a day for, for making amends, a day for reconciliation. So Tom, I want to ask you a question. You see, I've hated you for 30 years, not just for what you did to me, what you did for my, to my community, rather. I've hated you for 30 years. And Tom, I want to ask you, will, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me for that, that hate that I have held in my heart all of this time? And Tom Terrence sat there at his microphone, stunned. He said, Stan, yeah, I'll forgive you. But the real question, the real question is, will, will you forgive me? And almost before the words had ever left his mouth, both of those men left their microphones and they, they moved to the middle of the room and they embraced. To this day in Mobile, Alabama, that embrace is known as the miracle of at Spring Hill. Friends, you see, that's the other way. That's the path that, that John is here today inviting all of us to, to step onto. The path of love that not only sees good in all of us, but expects something of us. The love that seeks to, to refine us all of us, everything in us, good. That's the other way. That's that closeness to God that those people felt all those years ago. Because as I think about it now, about those people streaming out into the wilderness to meet this man preaching fire and brimstone and wearing camel hair clothes and eating locusts and, and wild honey, it occurs to me, it occurs to me that maybe it's not so hard after all to understand why. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, 
Amen.